Hi, welcome to On Jordan, a podcast in the latest developments in Jordanian politics, featuring interviews with experts in the Hashemite Kingdom. My name is Aaron Maggot, a former Amman-based journalist, now in Washington. Few in Amman were pleased with the results from Israel's November 1st election. Senator Mohammed Momani noted, for us in Jordan, anyone is better than Netanyahu. During the brief period Netanyahu was out of office, ties somewhat improved as King Abdullah publicly met Israeli Prime Minister Yair Lapid twice in recent months. Last year, Amman also signed a water for energy deal with Israel and the UAE. Amid the Likud chairman's expected return to power, it's likely that relations between the two neighboring countries will face increased tensions. Jordanians were outraged when Netanyahu warmly embraced an Israeli security guard who killed two Jordanians in 2017. Many Israelis also were upset two years later when the Hashemite Kingdom reclaimed land previously leased to the Jewish state. To better understand how another Netanyahu term will impact Jordanian-Israeli ties, it's great to welcome Barak Ravid to the podcast. Barak is a contributing correspondent for Axios, diplomatic reporter for Walla News, and a prolific commentator about Middle Eastern politics on Twitter. Thank you for joining us, Barak. Hi, Aaron. Thank you for inviting me. So how will Netanyahu's return to power impact Jordan's ties with Israel? Benjamin Netanyahu and King Abdallah of Jordan have a lot of history. There's a lot of baggage there. You know, there's very little trust between Netanyahu and King Abdullah. I think King Abdullah sees Netanyahu as somebody who uh, doesn't appreciate Jordan, doesn't have any problem undermining Jordan. And I think that as time passed during you know, the Trump presidency, but even later in in the last few months of Netanyahu as prime minister uh, before he was ousted in in June 2021, those were very, very difficult times in the Israeli-Jordanian relationship. I just remember this whole incident with the crown prince that was supposed to come to, to the Temple Mount in 2021, and the visit was canceled the last minute because some sort of a disagreement over security arrangements, which led to um, the Jordanians not allowing Netanyahu to fly from Jordan to the UAE, which led Netanyahu almost to close Israeli airspace to Jordanian civilian airplanes. We've been through a lot. The Jordanians and the king himself, you know, they're looking at what's going on here and they see that behind the corner... There's a Netanyahu-led government that's for them, is not good news. But then they look a bit more around the corner and see that this time Netanyahu is bringing with him uh, Jewish supremacists, radical extremists, and people who uh, want to challenge the status quo in the Al-Aqsa Mosque. There's, there's really like not much to hope for from the Jordanian side. So given the poor ties, what's your interpretation of King Abdullah's call to Netanyahu this past week? We should look at several things. First, the king is a polite person. You know, he's not, uh, I don't think he would, it would be appropriate for him not to, not to give Netanyahu a call. Second, I think that the king, before he made the call to Netanyahu, he met President Herzog in Sharm el-Sheikh at the, at the COP27, the climate summit. And I think that the call with Netanyahu was, I wouldn't be surprised if he's the one who convinced the king to to make the call. On the other hand, we know very little about what went on in the call. For example, the Jordanian side until now didn't issue any statement about this call. It only came out from Netanyahu. Uh, We don't know what kind of messages the king 
uh, gave Netanyahu during that call. So I think there are still a lot of question marks about this call, and I wouldn't read it as a sign for you know, things being business as usual. Now, Jordanian activists have long called for the shuttering of Israel's embassy in Amman and the annulment of the 1994 peace treaty. With Netanyahu's return to power, will this likely happen? Well, a lot of it, dep- a lot of it depends on what's, happening, what's going to happen on the ground. Let's not forget that it was pretty close to that several times with Netanyahu. In his first term with the assassination attempt of Khaled Mashal in Jordan, which it was very close back then to, you know, break up in, in, in the ties and the peace agreement was under threat. Uh, later on, with crisis over, um, you know, 2017, the crisis over the uh, Temple Mountain, the Al-Aqsa Mosque, and the crisis at the Israeli embassy in Jordan, and Netanyahu's media campaign over the Israeli security guard who shot a Jordanian citizen. And so things were pretty close to to breaking up several times. Oh, by the way, let's not forget that Netanyahu was on the verge of annexing 30% of the West Bank, uh, which would also, in my opinion, you know, the king said so himself when he said that it would create uh, a confrontation between Jordan and Israel if Netanyahu goes ahead with it. And I think he meant that the peace agreement would be at least suspended. So I think we were close in the past. Those things were avoided last minute. And I think that this time, if people like Itamar Ben-Gvir, a Jewish supremacist who has a hobby of uh, going on the Temple Mount and instigating and provoking uh, Muslim worshippers there, and who wants to build a third temple and... Uh, other uh, radical right-wing elements within the government who see Jordan as Palestine, or, you know, we can give a lot of examples. It would be a miracle, a miracle, if uh, the Jordanian-Israeli relations will not significantly deteriorate during the the next government's uh, term. But you don't think because of Jordan's dependence on $1.5 billion in annual U.S. aid, along with Congress's strong support for Israel, Jordan would be reluctant to take dramatic steps like closing down Israel's embassy in Amman or canceling the peace treaty? No, that, you know, the, the steps that you mentioned are, you know, the most extreme ones. You don't need to get there. It's enough that, that the, the peace with Jordan that got much warmer in the last year would cool down again. And another angle of this is the influence that Jordan has over the Abraham Accords countries. Muhammad bin Zayed, the president of the UAE, is a very close friend of King Abdullah. And we've seen before how uh, when King Abdullah asks MBZ to do something, he does it. And I think that if uh, Jordan... Uh, feels that the uh, policies of the new Israeli government uh, influences it, uh, Jordan in a negative way, it can go to the UAE and use its influence there to try and influence Israel. Now, Netanyahu and his allies have detailed plans for what they would like to do vis-a-vis the Palestinians in the West Bank. Are there any specific proposals regarding Jordan? Depends who you ask. I'm sure that if you ask uh, Netanyahu's uh, uh, coalition partners like Bezalel Smotrich and uh, Ben Gvir, they have the detailed plans for uh, for Jordan, and it, it's those plans are not very positive. 
you know, they see Jordan as either pal the Palestinian state or uh, part of uh, greater Israel. This is why I'm saying that the new government will be so extreme in its views that I think it's hard to imagine that there's not going to be a crisis. Yeah, so pivoting to last year, David Ignatius suggested in the Washington Post that Netanyahu is somehow involved in the Prince Hamza plot against King Abdullah. Based on your reporting, is that claim accurate? I don't know exactly what King Abdullah and the Jordanian security forces based their claims regarding an alleged conspiracy by uh, Prince Hamza and Bassam Audala. I don't know. I haven't seen the information. I'm highly skeptical, highly skeptical that this was connected in any way to Netanyahu or even more than that, there's this idea of a grand scheme between Trump, MBS and Netanyahu to undermine King Abdullah. You know, it's a good story. Okay. I haven't seen any evidence to support that story, any evidence. And I, I got to tell you that what I do know is that part of this conspiracy theory says that the Saudis want to take control over the custodianship on the, on the uh, Haram Sharif, the Al-Aqsa Mosque. And I think this is, at least from what I know, is totally false. Because the Saudis don't want to be to have custodianship over the Al-Aqsa Mosque because this will undermine the custodianship they already have on Mecca and Medina. They're number one and number two. They have no interest in, you know, uh, in elevating the Al-Aqsa Mosque to a higher position than it is today uh, and to overshadow uh, Mecca and Medina. Uh, so it's, it's as far as I know, uh, Muhammad ben Salman was never interested in that. You know, I spoke about this with, with Jared Kushner several times. And he said that never did Muhammad ben Salman showed any interest in, in uh, having custodianship over the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Quite the contrary, all the Arab leaders, including Muhammad ben Salman that Kushner and his team spoke to, uh, said that, you know, the Jordanians are doing a great job and they see no reason to, you know, to change that. Again, I don't know what is the information that the uh, Jordanian government based its allegations against uh, Prince Hamza and Bassem Audala, but again, I am highly doubtful that Netanyahu or anybody in the Israeli government was, was involved in this. Interesting. Now, the Royal Palace makes sure to keep Crown Prince Hussein away from any public pictures of King Abdullah's meeting with Israeli officials, in contrast to King Abdullah's meetings with other foreign government leaders. So does the Crown Prince privately engage with Israeli officials? And if so, how would you describe their assessments of Jordan's next leader? Uh, I got to tell you that until you said it, I haven't noticed that. That's very interesting. I, I really haven't noticed that the Crown Prince is not, at least not in the public photos from the meetings with Israeli officials, because it's true that he is in other uh, uh, photos. It, it's very interesting, actually. As far as I know, the only engagement or the, the, the only 
time that he was supposed to deal with something that's connected to Israel was when he was supposed to come to the to to the Al-Aqsa Mosque, uh, the visit that was canceled last minute. I I know nothing about any engagement between the Crown Prince and Israeli officials. But by the way, but I wouldn't be surprised if there are. So given the difficult political dynamics between Netanyahu and King Abdullah, how would you describe the security ties between the two countries? The security ties are strong and I I don't see any interest in neither in Jordan or Israel to change that. And the reason there's they're so uh, strong is because they're being run by the IDF and the Jordanian military or the Mossad and uh, the Jordanian um, uh, general intelligence uh, uh, service. And, and those people are working together for years. And every Israeli IDF chief of staff, one of the first thing he does when he enters office is go see the king. And this way, King Abdullah became close with several Israeli uh, IDF chief, chief of staff who later on became uh, politicians like Benny Gantz. Benny Gantz and King Abdullah knew each other for many, many years before Benny Gantz went into politics. And I think that they have a very close relationship. In terms of security ties, how do they tangibly manifest themselves? For example, Jordan now is very concerned with the situation on the Syrian border with uh, pro-Iranian militias in that area and the possible pullout uh, of uh, Russian forces. Uh, that could, you know, give more uh, maneuvering space for those uh, pro-Iranian militias. And we saw the visit by uh, Lavrov, uh, Russian foreign minister in Jordan, that focused on, on this issue. And I think that Israel and Jordan are working very, very closely on, on this issue of the um, pro-Iranian militia presence on the border between Syria and Jordan, Syria and Israel, and the triangle of the you know, syria Israel, Jordan area. And last question, a majority of Jordanians hold negative views of Israel. How would you describe Israeli public opinion about Jordan in the past 10 to 20 years? Uh, I think that unfortunately, and it's this is a, a trend that is, is very worrying. I mean, first, I think that the Jordanian government, if there's, for me as a journalist, I get close to zero engagement with the Jordanian government. Uh, I think it's a big mistake. I think it's a misunderstanding of how Israel works. I think Jordan has a lot of good things to offer. I think it doesn't market itself well to Israelis. Uh, there are a lot of opportunities that the Jordanian government is not, not taking advantage of in order to project its soft power you know, in Israel. On the other hand, there's a very worrying trend in Israel of more and more people who are right-wing that disregard Jordan and, 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 and see it as a, a burden and not as an asset. I think there's a big ignorance in the Israeli, I would, I would want to say in the Israeli public opinion because people are not, are not supposed to know uh, those issues if they're a normal person, but this ignorance is among politicians and people who are you know, supposed to be decision makers that have no clue of how big of an asset Jordan is for Israel. 
people are not aware that this is Israel's longest border. And that on Israel's longest border, there's this, the smallest amount of IDF forces. Because uh, the, the border between Jordan and Israel is protected by the uh, Arab Jordanian army. Those are the folks who are protecting the border. Not the IDF. There's almost no forces along the border. Very little. People are not aware of it. They're not aware of the strategic depth that Jordan gives Israel against threats from Iran, from Iraq. People are not aware of how uh, Israel and Jordan cooperate on Syria and obviously, again, on, on Temple Mount and on the Palestinian issue and on hundreds of other issues. And I think that at the same time, the Jordanian government sometimes forgets that it sometimes it needs to tell the truth to the Jordanian people. You cannot go and trash Israel every other day with conspiracy theories and, and, and blood libels and lies while at the same time uh, asking Israel for more water, signing with Israel strategic uh, energy uh, agreements. You cannot go as the Prime Minister of Jordan to the parliament and say that, you know, you support uh, uh, violence against Israel. It's just not done. And, uh, and I think that, unfortunately, uh, the Jordanian government is not telling the truth to its people about why it is good for them that there's, there are relations with Israel. It doesn't mean that Jordan has to agree with Israel on everything and, and not criticize, and not at all. But it also cannot uh, continue telling its people uh, uh, things about Israel that are just not true. Well, thank you very much, Barack. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Aaron. That was Axios contributing correspondent Barack Ravid. Here's what else you should know this week. On November 14th, Jordan abstained from a UN General Assembly vote calling on Russia to pay reparations to Ukraine for its nine-month war. This vote comes shortly after Russian Foreign Minister Lavrov visited Amman this month and met King Abdullah. Jordan's foreign ministry noted the importance of ending the Ukraine crisis according to the UN Charter, while respecting Ukraine's sovereignty in a way that protects the legitimate interests of the parties, including Russia. In other news, the International Monetary Fund mission head, Ali Abbas, said on November 15th that Jordan's economy had grown faster than expected amid global financial difficulties. The IMF official cited increased tourism to Jordan, along with the country receiving greater investment from Gulf states. While Amman's 2.7% expected growth in 2022 is encouraging, the kingdom still suffers from high unemployment at over 20%. Also, on November 16th, the Jordanian website Khaberni reported that the Biden administration intends to appoint Yael Lempert as the next U.S. ambassador to Amman. Lempert is a career foreign service officer who previously served as acting assistant secretary of state for Near Eastern Affairs. Before I go, please listen to previous podcasts, including Jordan's drug war along the Syrian border with journalist Mohammed Arsan and understanding the kingdom's Muslim brotherhood with Professor Wagmachers. Finally, if you're interested in joining the podcast, especially if you live in Jordan, please reach out to me on Twitter at Aaron Magid or via email, aaron.magid1 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.